My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Amy Lowe and Charlie Lessard. It's a still-tempting oversimplification that has long been dispelled to regard the landscape for communicating about sexuality as a blanket of uniform silence that can only be resisted by speaking. Sexuality of a certain narrow sort is, after all, everywhere in our media, and it's quite common for people to have to navigate many different kinds of social situations that are not themselves sexual encounters, but in which, in what we say about ourselves and in how we act, there's a social compulsion to talk sexuality or signal sexuality. So there is no uniform blanket of silence and repression. Yet in its mix of what is compelled, what is permitted, and what is erased or forbidden or silenced, this landscape is highly uneven and complex. There's a dizzying array of different ways that it works for differently situated people, but one important group for whom mandatory silence and sexual erasure is in fact very strong in mainstream contexts is disabled people. The potential of many disabled people to have and to want sexual lives as vibrant and varied as everyone else is by and large erased and denied in mainstream contexts. Many disabled people are read as inherently not sexual and are given no space in conversation or in practice to be otherwise. And, though it varies considerably and is in the process of changing, many spaces organized around disabled identities and or politics, particularly the more mainstream among such spaces, are largely silent about sexuality as well. Amy Lowe and Charlie Lessard want to change this. Lowe is a writer and media maker and an experienced activist on multiple issues, including around questions of disability and accessibility. Lessard is a doula, a longtime sexuality educator, and an activist around reproductive and sexual rights. Both are currently working for the Fédération du Québec pour le planning des naissances, a small but well-established organization in Montreal, on a project called Accex Plus, it's spelled A-C-S-E-X-E and then a plus sign, that aims to create opportunities for disabled people to talk and learn and share about the spectrum of issues that intertwine with sexuality. The project is committed to a feminist, queer-positive, and sex-positive orientation, and it has involved a regularly updated blog and social media presence, the production of a number of videos, public events, and more. Lowe and Lassard talk with me about disability and sexuality, and about the Access Plus project. We spoke via a combination of Skype and Skype-to-phone from Montreal. My name is Amy Lowe. I'm a writer and media maker. And I have been working with the FQPN for the last several months on the XX Plus project. And I'm Charlie. I also work with this. And I'm also a doula and a reproductive rights activist. And I've been working with Amy for a few months already on the Sex and Disability project. FQPN is Fédération du Québec pour le planning de naissance. It's an advocacy group for reproductive and sexual rights based in Quebec. 
we mostly work around contraception, sexual education, abortion, and so on. And this project is part of a new stream that FQPN has been working on, which is specifically on sexuality. So the Sex and Disability Project is kind of branching out from the advocacy work that the organization has done into other things such as media production and that sort of thing. If you had asked me five years ago what I would be doing these days, I don't think it would have been working on a project about sex and disability, that's for sure. But I'm really happy I'm doing it. And I think part of my path to this area has been my advocacy work for accessibility. And a lot of the stuff that I've done in the past several years around accessibility has been negotiating with like Montreal city officials and more like structural things in relation to transit and access to healthcare and home care and that sort of thing. And in that work, in specific with the organization Accessibilize Montreal, I've had a lot of conversations about sexuality and about both the positive aspects of sexuality, such as finding partners that you really click with, and then also the barriers that people with disabilities face, specifically here in Quebec, although I've had conversations about it across the country and in different countries as well. I've also done some writing in my personal work with the Underwater City Project, and I touch on sexuality and queerness in that, in that work as well. So a couple of different things have led me here. And for me, I have been working on sexual education writing for a while through my job and also through other projects as I grew up as an activist, if you wish. We are not an organization that specifically work with people living with disabilities, but we work on reproductive and sexual rights. So by wanting to expand our views and trying to understand better and just trying to touch on many different topics, we came across an amazing book that's called The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability that was written by Corey Silverberg and Fran Audit. We got really interested because the content was appealing to everybody who has a sex life, but was designed for people with disabilities. We got interested into that, and we met Amy. I went to one of our workshops, and I got really into it, and we started working together. So we came across that book, and we wanted to translate it in French because there is no sex-positive resources in French on the topic of sex and disability. And when we found that book, we were really excited because we said, okay, it's a resource that exists. It's really rad. It has anti-oppressive language. We really want to have that as a resource. So we asked for money to get it translated. And I don't know if you know how much translation costs, but it's a lot. And we didn't get enough money, but we got enough money to work on a project that would allow us to inspire ourselves from that book to make a resource. That's when we hired Amy, and she coordinated the project. And I might just add, the first time that I spoke with one of the authors of that book, Corey Silverberg, and Corey was saying that they would love to have the book translated, but also they were saying that like it was written in 2000, and so there's all this yeah. new information and new creation and new writing about sex and disabilities. And also, a lot of those conversations are in English and are in English Canada or in the States and Europe. And so part of Corey's motivation actually was to see what's happening in Quebec and to have a bilingual resource that people of both languages could access as well. 
Tell me a bit more about the context of the need for a project like this. Any time that I mention what I'm working on, I get one of two reactions. One is, oh, people with disabilities don't have sex. Or two, God, yes, we need a resource or we need to start talking about sex and disability more. <laughs> so that's kind of the context that we're working in. Simply put, like, there just isn't that much conversation about it. Again, specifically in French, specifically in Quebec. There's some amazing things starting to happen, like the project in Toronto called Deliciously Disabled that a colleague of mine, Andrew Morrison-Gerzo, started up and some other projects. But, I mean, it's just one of those taboo subjects that people haven't been talking about. It can be really serious, right? Not just in the fact that people are stigmatized, but also in the fact that there's, for example, here in Quebec, accessibility is such a big issue. And some reproductive health clinics, places where people go to get STI testing and birth control for youth and all that kind of stuff, those places are inaccessible. And so that can be a really serious repercussion of that sort of stigma that people with disabilities aren't sexual. So that's the environment that we're working in. At the same time, since we've started the project, and even a little bit before, I've noticed a big increase in the attention that the issue's getting and in the interest as well. Like, people in certain disabled activist communities seem to be talking a lot more about sex and sexuality in all its forms, but it's still a pretty quiet subject. Yeah, in Quebec, when we talk about sex and disability, as Amy said, either people say, oh, people with disabilities don't have sex, they don't have a sexualized body, or we hear about sex work and sexual yeah. surrogacy. And also, when we hear about sex and disability, we don't hear it from people who are disabled themselves. We hear it from specialists. We hear it from journalists. We hear it from an outside perspective. And so it was really important for us to hear the voice of people who live with disability and have a sexual life or want one and what their opinion is about it all and their experience. So I think that's mainly wanting to start a conversation and having a space. The conversation is at the really beginning. So just having a tiny space for people to know that sex and disability can rhyme and it can rhyme sexy, it's a good start, right? And tell me more about the ways that sexuality is talked about or perhaps not talked about in spaces that are organized around disabled identities and disability politics. Like any identity-based field of activism and advocacy, there's lots of different streams. Not all are feminist, not all put women and trans folks' voices first, and certainly not all organizations that I've come across have been sex positive or have even been open to conversations about sexuality, or else they see it as secondary to the larger legal battles that need to take place to make Quebec more accessible, to make Canada more accessible. On the other side of that, there are certain organizations or groups of people, groups of friends who are very open about sexuality, but it's not at all in the current of all organizations for disabled people by any means. It's often on the margins. But it's an issue that really ties in a lot of different barriers and different stereotypes that people with disability face. For example, part of our project is a blog, and some of the topics that we have covered or are covering include structural issues like accessibility, accessible dating venues, 
accessible cultural spaces for people to just go out and have the potential to meet partners or to take people out on dates and that sort of thing. And then another issue that's related to the broader question of sex and disability is things like consent, where the discussion of disability can augment the conversation we have around consent, but it can also silence it. Some people who I've interviewed have said because of the social barriers to meeting people, that in the past they've been less inclined to discuss consent with partners because they're afraid that they're, they're going to be alone, basically. So like all those conversations that we're having in other fields relating to feminism, they take place in the discussion of sex and disability, and the discussion of accessibility adds a lot to those discussions. You've used the phrase sex positive a few times. Talk a little bit about what that means. For me, sex positive means being open to people's diverse sexualities. And as someone in one of the videos that we shot put it really eloquently, sex positivity doesn't necessarily mean having loads of sex all the time. It just means respecting people's desires and wants and needs in their own sexualities and providing the support that they might need to access their own sexualities. I've been writing on sexual education and sex positivity for a while. And to me, it's not just providing a comprehensive sex education, but to provide something honest, scientifically sound, not judgmental, and explicitly feminist. It's not just talking about condoms or STDs. It's talking about sexual orientation, gender identity, relationship, consent, sexism, double standard, abuse, masturbation, pleasure. And there is no hierarchy between what we talk about. Everything is important when we talk about sex. So that's what we mean by sex positivity. We mean the importance of talking about everything that comes into sexuality. So who you are as an individual, but also what kind of society you grew up in, what kind of body you have, what kind of relationship you have with your body, and how you talk about sex and what's the tools that you have to talk about sex. I'm not judging people for the choices that they make about their sexuality because there's no hierarchy between what is good or what is wrong or what is better or what should come first or what should come after or what age you have, you should have that kind of sex. It's not about that at all. It's just about affirming people's sexuality in the way they choose to have it and giving the best information so people can make better decisions about their sexual life and their sexual health. Talk more about the activities that constitute the project. The project was really started to raise awareness and increase the discussion around sex and disability. So we decided to do a blog and diffuse it as widely as possible on social media, on Twitter, on Tumblr, and on Facebook. And we also decided to make a video series featuring three women who are disabled, who have very diverse sexualities, and who live in Quebec. Those videos are going to be launched online soon, and we also launched them live at an event on May 29th. And through the project, a lot of people have shared their experiences for blog posts. We have one post coming up on ableism in dating. And for that, we reached out to a lot of different people to share their experiences because part of the project is really to share as many perspectives as possible. 
So we reached out to a whole bunch of different people. So the process of actually building community and encouraging people to share their stories if they want to has also been a big part of putting the blog together and of creating the videos as well. Sometimes people need the right platform to talk about their experiences, and hopefully we've been able to do that a little bit with the project. We've talked about sexual positions, but not just about, you know, try this or try that, but about the topic of comfort and of being able to express your needs in a sexual situation and of also respecting the other person's needs and comfort levels and desires about like communication with your partners and finding things that work for all people involved. Also something that's coming up is asexuality because we've alluded to the stereotype that people with disabilities are asexual or non-sexual. But one reaction to that stereotype is to say, no, we're super sexual and look at all the ways that we're sexy. But on the other side of that, there's actual people who are asexual, and that's their sexual identity. And so one of our upcoming posts is about acknowledging there's a huge difference between being stigmatized as non-sexual or asexual in quotes, and then actually just having an asexual sexual identity, which is just people who they're not inclined to have sex. They might have relationships in other ways, but they're not interested in having sex. And then, of course, the good old subject of straight-up accessibility, which is something that no matter how much I would like to, I don't really stop talking about because it's such a big deal. Another topic we're looking at is the point at which structural accessibility hinders your sexuality, essentially. I would add that you're also talking about, like, friends and families, friends and families who might not be living with disabilities themselves but play a role in relationships also talking about consent, talking about internalized ableism. Yeah, that came out of an interview that I did with someone who was telling me that he doesn't so much experience ableism from the people that he's dating, but yeah, from their families. So that was a really interesting topic for me because it's so true, right? Like in so many cases, the opinions of the people around us influence our own dating choices. Tell me more about the videos that you've produced. Part of our idea was to really showcase disabled Quebecers, specifically women, to really share a bunch of perspectives that aren't really that showcased. So the videos focus on one person per video, and we cover three major themes. One person is the power wheelchair user, one person has invisible disabilities, and one person happens to be deaf. And so each film star has a wide range of experiences and identities. So the three themes are, tell me about your experiences. What are some of the barriers that you face in relation to realizing your sexuality? Or if you have any barriers, because that's a big assumption also, to assume that someone has barriers just because they have disabilities. And then the third is really, what are some of the tips or the insights that you would share with others? And that one was really important to me because Charlie mentioned it before, but so often the information relating to sexuality and disability is produced by people who don't actually identify as disabled themselves. And so one of the goals with the videos is really to say, what would you tell maybe a younger version of yourself or someone who has similar experiences? What would you share with them? What would you say, hey, you know, I suggest you try this or don't let this get you down or whatever else. 
the launching event was our annual general meeting. We first had it and then we invited people from the general public to watch the videos. We presented the project at first and then we watched the videos all together. And then people were invited to comment on the content or share their feelings or talk around the videos. It was just a discussion, basically. As we said, there is not many spaces to talk about sex and disability. There's not many spaces where people living with disability can talk about sex publicly. So having that space was really important. Also, we specified at the beginning that we would prioritize the voices of people who identify as disabled so as to make their voices more heard. And I had a lot of comments of people saying that they really appreciated the fact that we said that. It was a really interesting conversation with a mix of personal stories, questions. Also, some people said stuff that could have been offensive, but people in the audience replied. And it was a really well-managed conversation. And I think it was just the starting point of a bigger conversation that needs and wants to be happening. And Charlie... As a longtime sexuality educator, what do you think you've learned from your participation in this specific project that you'll be able to take up and apply in your sexuality education work more generally? Sexuality is very personal. It's intimate. It's about our relationship to our bodies. When we talk about sexuality, we talk about the bodies and we all have our stigma, our fears, our preconception of how a body should be, how a body should react. And sometimes it just doesn't work the way you want it to work. So you, you kind of have to be creative. And that's true for everybody, not just for people living with disabilities. So working on sex and disability, it's confirming what I had felt before is that our bodies will never react the way we want them to react. Bodies are unpredictable, and that's why they're so amazing. When we talk about sex, we have to talk about all the possibilities that are in front of our eyes or that we can't see because we're too, too focused on how it should be. I think our sex lives would be way richer and way more exciting if we would get rid of those judgments and get rid of those preconceived ideas of how it should be. I might add to that more just in terms of just programming. Sex ed as a base is really missing in Quebec right now. And then to add different forms of diversity into that sex ed is doubly missing. So, I mean, sex ed that's inclusive of many different identities and experiences is super important. So that's, you know, relating to racism, that's relating to ableism, that's relating to all sorts of those different identities that students and youth carry with them too. Yeah, it's so true. It's if we talk about sexual orientation or we talk about disability or we talk about race when we are doing sex education in the system, we talk about it in 
sort of an outside perspective instead of being entirely part of the education, being mm-hmm. transversal to everything that you're talking about. They make it into like specific topic that we're going to talk about when it's not a specific topic. It is part of sexuality. So instead of talking about the others and what the others are doing and what is the norm, we should integrate it in the conversation and make it as the norm. De-dramatize it, destigmatize it, and just make it a part of the human experience of sexuality. What's coming up for the project in the next while? The blog is continuing. We're sitting on a nest egg of blog posts right now that we're going to start posting regularly. And we just found out recently that we got a stipend from an organization based out of McGill, a student-funded social justice org called Kuberg McGill, to put together some sort of printed resource. So that's specifically a summer project. So we're going to see in the next few weeks how that's going to take shape. But by the end of the summer, beginning of the fall, we'll have posted more on our blog and we'll have a printed resource that will hopefully be available in different community organizations, in different sex shops around the country and that sort of thing. Like the blog, the resource will be bilingual. And as I mentioned, not very many resources about sex and disability are sex positive in French, and there just aren't that many resources in either language. So one of the aims is to really have a conversation wherein speakers of both English and French are included and dialoguing across language as well. So that's the reason that all of the resources that we're making are bilingual. Yeah, so that's the goal for the short term, the next few months. Shelley, do you want to talk about more longer term? Yeah, but we need money. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) We're looking at other funding to get the project going. There's some people who've contacted us saying like, oh, we really want to see this going. Can we be part of some sort of committee? So there is interest coming from people who've participated to the project, but we're trying to figure out how we're going to make this possible financially because, first of all, it's very difficult as a person living with disability to find a good job. So we don't want to have a project where we ask people to do work for free. So we want to be able to compensate people financially for their participation. And if we want to produce more resources and many other things, we need a little bit of money. So, yeah, we don't know yet which form it's going to take, but I think a lot of discussion needs to happen, maybe some sort of panel. It really is going to depend what is the people going to want to work on because we want to start from a group of people who live with disabilities and what they think it's a priority is going to be our priority. You have been listening to my interview with Amy Lowe and Charlie Lassard about the Access Plus project, which deals with questions of disability and sexuality. To learn more about the project and to read some of the important writing on disability and sexuality that the project has been producing in both English and French, go to accex.tumblr.com. That's A-C-S-E-X-E To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.